So we are going to continue on um, in our series um, of those who are blessed. And we've already taken a look at those who are blessed um, because they are poor in spirit, those who are blessed because they mourn. Today we're going to look at those who are meek. And so turn with me to uh, Matthew chapter 5. That's where we have been studying the past few weeks and will continue to study. But Matthew chapter 5, we're uh, in verse 5, and it says, um, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, I wanted us to look at a few different definitions of meek because it's really not a word that we use very often um, nowadays. And so the strong concordance tells us that the Greek word that's used here can be translated as humble or gentle. Um, and so the passage could read, blessed are the humble, for they shall inherit the earth. And in fact, some translations do read that way. So you may be reading a translation this morning that says, blessed are the humble, for they shall inherit the earth. So that's the word um, as it translates from Greek. I also turn to just the dictionary. I wanted to see what the dictionary had to say about the word meek. And this is the definition that it gives. It says, to endure injury with patience and without resentment. I'm going to read that again because I really like it. It says, to endure injury with patience and without resentment. And we're actually going to be taking a closer look at that uh, definition a little bit later on uh, in the morning. So I wanted to uh, look at some synonyms for the word meek. Again, just to give us a better idea because it's not a word that we use a lot. So some synonyms or things that are the same, mild, selfless, lowly, humble, as we've already said, unassuming, long-suffering, or patient. And Jesus describes himself as meek. Uh, in Matthew chapter 11, when he's giving the invitation to those who are weary, who are burdened, he says, come to me because I'm meek and I'm gentle at heart. So Jesus describes himself as meek. Now let's take a look at some antonyms. You didn't realize you'd get a vocabulary lesson this morning, huh? <laughs> Let's look at some antonyms, which are the opposite. So what is the opposite of meek or humble? Arrogant, no surprise. Egotistic. Haughty. Pretentious. Superior. Self-serving. So those are antonyms. That's the opposite. So why, why the vocabulary lesson? Why take the time to look at what meekness is and what it is not? And I wanted to do that because I wanted to make sure that we understood that meekness is not interpreted as weakness. It's not one walking around apologizing for their existence, not one um, without a voice or um, feeling like they don't have the right to speak. That's not meekness. So I wanted us to, to take some time to, to talk about what what it is. So this morning, we're going to look at three things as they relate to meekness. We're going to look at the position of the meek. We're going to take a, a look at a picture of the meek. And we're going to look at the possession of the meek. Okay, so position, a picture, and possession. Try to make it easy. You know pastors do that with the alliterations. We try to make it easy for you. So number one, what is the position of the meek? The position of the meek is one of submission. One Bible commentary describes the meek as those who, in their patience, keep possession of their own souls. 
in their patience, they keep possession of their own souls. Now, to me, I get a picture of someone just exhaling. I'm going to keep calm. I'm not going to lose it. (laughs) I'm going to stay in control. Um, It's one who says I'm not going to let someone or something knock me off course. It's someone who is able to keep in patience possession of their own soul. I've heard meekness described as power under control. And I like that. So it's not that the meek person lacks power or authority or influence. It's that they have submitted those things to God's control. So they have them. Those things are available to them. But they've submitted them to God's control. So what does meekness look like in action? When we talk about meekness, when we talk about humility, I believe it's walking and operating with an understanding of who God is. And because I know who God is, I know who I am. So I can walk in confidence about who I am in him. So it's, it's different than being haughty or pretentious, like we said. Those are the antonyms. But because I know who God is, I'm comfortable with who I am. And because I know who God is and who I am, I can see you the way that I'm supposed to see you. I see you as someone made in the image of God. Um, And so I'm able to be long-suffering. I'm able to be selfless. I'm able to be gentle in my interactions with you. So meekness begins with an understanding of who God is and submitting to who God is and operating with the knowledge of that and serving in a position of submission. And Jesus, when he was on the earth, he operated with that knowledge. Remember now, one of the definitions for meekness was one who endures injury and insult with patience and without resentment. And I'm telling you, if ever there was a person who walked this earth who exemplified that, it's Jesus. You know, I tried to think of, okay, who is somebody modern day that we could relate to? And I thought, what am I doing? He is literally the best example of meekness and humility that we could ever uh, see. So we're going to take a look at how Jesus operated when he was here on this earth and how he displayed meekness. Okay, so we said the position of the meek is submission. Now we're going to take a look at a picture of that being played out. And so we're going to turn, if you would, uh, to Matthew chapter 27, verses 11 to 14, and then we'll read a little bit later on in that chapter, 28 to 31. But this is um, an account of Jesus when he was on trial, and he was standing before Pilate. And so again, we're, we're about to look at a picture of meekness. And so Matthew 27, verses 11 to 14, say this. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things are being testified against you? Like, do you not understand the seriousness of this situation? But He gave no answer. Jesus gave no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. And then later on in that chapter, uh, verses 28 to 31, it says, And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him took the reed and struck him on the head. 
And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to be crucified. Now, again, he has not mumbled a single word. Isaiah 53, 7 also gives us an account of this. Isaiah 53, 7 says he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Did he remain silent because he'd just given up in defeat? He's like, I mean, all these people against me, I may as well just give up. <laughs> Did he remain silent because he just didn't know what to say at that point? No. No on both of those accounts. Jesus, honestly, he could have gone toe-to-toe with any of his accusers, and he would have been right. On every account, he would have been right. But because he sought to do the Father's will, he patiently endured. Because he understood who he was and is, the Savior of the world, he patiently endured. Because he knew who his accusers were. Sinners in need of saving. He endured the insult and the accusations, and he set his face to the cross. And we know that even while he was on the cross, he prayed that they would be forgiven because they didn't understand what they were doing. What a great picture of meekness. Having the power to do something, because you know he had the power to do something about his situation. But he submitted that power to the will of God so that a greater purpose could be served. So I think it's appropriate for us to ask ourselves some questions. And I've been asking myself ever since I knew that I would be talking about this. I've been asking myself some questions. Like, what is my response in the face of insult and injury? And, you know, if I'm being completely honest with you, which I try to do, (laughs) um, I haven't been responding all too well lately, you know, with some of the tensions that have been happening over the past several months. I haven't always responded to what I felt like was an insult or an injury well. I wanted to have the last word, and I, I want to fight to the bitter end. <laughs> I want to be the one who, like, mic drops and walks away, <laughs> you know, but that's not a picture of meekness. Do I allow myself to be knocked off course in an effort to have the last word, in an effort to push my own agenda? If you're answering yes to that, let's submit that. Let's submit that to the Father and say, Lord, that is not how you have called me to live. And that person is not the one who is blessed. Blessed are those who are meek. Now, it would be easy to hear this and to think, well, am I supposed to just be a pushover? I mean, am I just supposed to be a mat and people walk all over me and I have to stay silent and I can't ever say anything or defend myself or speak my case? That sounds awfully weak to me. It's beginning to sound like meekness is weakness. And I would say to that, here is the key. The key is that we must be walking so closely with the Father that we know when to speak and when to be silent. That's what Jesus did. He walked so closely with the Father. He talked to him all the time. And so Jesus knew when to speak up and when to be silent because, look, Scripture gives us many accounts of him um, addressing the Pharisees, the religious leaders, very boldly, very bluntly. I mean, he would call them all kinds of names. (laughs) 
He was very bold and very blunt when he knew he was supposed to. So the key here is not, oh, well, I just have to be helpless and walk around and let people walk all over me and I can't say anything. No, no. We have to be walking closely enough with the Father to know, Father, is this a situation where you want me to speak? And when he says yes, you better believe he's going to give you the words to speak. So listen, don't just, oh, yes, speak. Okay, (laughs) he's going to give you the words to speak. And then we're walking closely enough with him to know, okay, Father, is this something I need to respond to? Okay, no, I'm going to be silent. I'm going to let my actions speak for themselves. So we see throughout um, the life of Jesus that he knew how and when to use the power and authority and influence that were his. Matthew Henry, a Bible commentary, says this of the meek. He says, the meek are those who quietly submit themselves to God, to his word, to his rod, to his correction, and they follow his direction. So they quietly submit themselves to God, to his word, and to his correction, and they follow his direction. So that's one picture of meekness. I want to take a look at another picture of meekness, um, because one of the definitions or one of the synonyms for meekness was long-suffering. Again, really not a word that we use a lot, so I'm going to say patient or long-suffering. I think about all of the accounts in the New Testament where Jesus was not just long-suffering, and I mean really it's long-suffering, so to suffer long, (laughs) to suffer a long time. Um, He wasn't just long-suffering or patient with his, um, with the Pharisees and, you know, the the religious leaders of his day. He wasn't just long-suffering with them. He was long-suffering with his own disciples. So I was looking at a few accounts in the Bible where um, Jesus just had to like say, look, guys, I I just see him saying, no, no, just wait a minute, you know, or maybe just rubbing his temple saying, okay, here we go again. (laughs) The first one is in John chapter four, when it it gives an account of Jesus interacting with um, a Samaritan woman. And the disciples went off to find something to eat. And so Jesus had this uh, exchange with the Samaritan woman. She goes off happy because she realizes who he is. And he's told her all about, you know, who she is, what she's ever done. And so she leaves the scene. The disciples come back, not really knowing what had happened here. And um, they're trying to get Jesus to eat. And Jesus says, um, I have food that you know nothing about. And the disciples, I can just see them. They're like, what? Did somebody bring him food? Who brought him food? Did, you, did anybody bring him food? I don't see any food around here. And so Jesus is like, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me. <laughs> John chapter 11, verse 14, the disciples were confused about um, Lazarus. And uh, someone came to Jesus and they said, you know, Lazarus, um, he's fallen asleep. He won't get up, basically. And his sisters want to know if you can come help out. Can you do anything about this? And so once again, the disciples are like, well, is he asleep? I mean, if he's asleep, he's going to wake up and get better, right? And so I love how it says, uh, John eleven fourteen. 14, it says, Jesus said plainly, Lazarus is dead. Like, guys, come on, he's dead. And so I just love it. It's like he just said, but I can just almost hear the, come on, guys. Get with it. John 14, 9, Jesus is speaking to one of the disciples, Philip. And Philip says to him, Jesus, Lord, will you show us the Father? And this was Jesus' response to him. He said, have I been with you this long and you still don't know me? You still don't know that if you've seen me, you have seen the Father? 
And then I think we all uh, have heard, maybe you haven't, I won't assume, but uh, Luke chapter 22, and then there's also an account in Matthew, all of the Gospels, of Jesus praying in the garden. And the disciples fall asleep, not one time, but two. And he says, can't you just stay awake for an hour? I'm suffering here. So Jesus, throughout his interactions, throughout his um, teaching and instructing and leading the disciples, practiced patience, and a lot of it. <laughs> he was long-suffering with his disciples. Now, you know, I find myself looking at them and saying, what, what a bunch of blockheads. I mean, come on, you got Jesus walking with you. The man's cooking fish and eating with you. I mean, come on, haven't you learned anything? But honestly, I have to think about myself. And how long-suffering and patient is he with me? How long-suffering and patient is he with you? How many times has he said, okay, we're walking around that block one more time because I don't really think you learned the lesson. He's long-suffering and patient with us. He's gracious in our mistakes and even in our disobedience, giving us a chance to repent, to wake up. And that's exactly the way that he has instructed us to be with each other. Galatians 5 tells us that one of the spiritual characteristics of someone who has submitted themselves to the Spirit is long-suffering. It's a fruit that's developed, so we're not going to wake up one day and white-knuckle it and will it and say, I will be long-suffering if it kills me. <laughs> it might. <laughs> but it's something that is produced in us as we submit to the Spirit of God. And we are to be long-suffering and patient with each other. Some of us are willing to go a mile, but are we willing to go the extra mile? And then another, and yet another. Why? For the sake of someone growing in their relationship with the Lord, for the sake of them becoming deeper and stronger in their knowledge of who God is, would we go the extra mile? Would we demonstrate long-suffering and patience? Because it is on a daily basis demonstrate it to us. So we've looked at the position of the meek, which is submission. We've taken a look at a picture of meekness in action. And now I want us to talk about the possession of the meek. The possession of the meek. Matthew 5, 5 says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. To inherit means to come into possession of or receive especially as a right or divine portion. So you're coming into possession of something. Now, <clears throat> I was really curious about what does this mean to possess the earth, to inherit the earth. And I looked and I looked and I looked. And um, in my research, I, I found that there are two sides here. Um, some scholars argue that the earth that is talked about here, that the uh, meek will inherit, is the physical earth, like the here and now. And that because the meek or the humble have learned to walk with their God, they've learned to walk in submission, that they um, are free to enjoy the things of the earth. They're not encumbered. They walk unencumbered. Um, so, so some scholars argue that it, it's talking about the here, the now, this earth. Other scholars argue um, that as the book of Revelation tells us that uh, John says, I saw a new heaven and I saw a new earth. So some scholars argue that that's the earth 
that uh, this passage is talking about, which in essence is the, the kingdom of heaven. So, so they're, they're inheriting the kingdom of heaven. And even some translations will say that, blessed are the meek for, they, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So, um, you know, there are, there are two different ways that scholars look at this. I'm not here today to persuade either way. I just know that the meek get to possess something. <laughs> they get possession of something, whether it's uh, in the here and now only, whether it's um, this new heaven, this new earth, or whether it's both, in which, you know, honestly, if I have to give an opinion and I'm leaning toward both, I mean, they, they get to enjoy the here and now with their Savior, unencumbered, because they know who he is and who they are, and they get to enjoy or inherit this new heaven, this new earth, the kingdom of God. And so um, the meek are blessed with an inheritance or a divine portion. But this was one thing that I did not see in the commentaries. And, um, you know, I wanted to know why. It says the meek shall inherit the earth. And I thought, well, why, why are they the ones that get to inherit the earth? Why are they the ones that get this inheritance? And I, I looked, and most of the commentaries explained what that meant, but they didn't say, they didn't answer that question, why? Why do the meek, why do the humble get to inherit the earth? And so I just started praying about it, which <laughs> I probably should have started there. <laughs> should have consulted the Lord before I consulted the commentaries. But I just really started asking the Lord, Lord, I'm curious, like, why, why are the meek, why are the humble the ones who have this blessing of inheriting the earth. And I honestly feel like God said this. I feel like he said, because they are the ones who I choose to entrust important things to. The humble. The humble, the meek. They are the type of people that God chooses to entrust important things to. Those who understand the power the influence and the authority that they possess, and they submit those things to God, and they use those things to advance his kingdom and not their own agenda, those are the ones that he will entrust important things to. The humble, the meek, they are the ones who gain an inheritance. Hmm. I believe I heard right. <laughs> if you've heard something on that from the Lord, I'd love to, to hear it, but... Um, you know, I just think that's such, again, a beautiful picture of, you know, it's kind of a juxtaposition here where um, in, in our society, and our culture, it's the ones who push, shove, who are aggressive, who get, right? But in God's kingdom, which is often so contrary <laughs> to the way that this world works, in his kingdom, the people who just give up, who let go, are the ones who get. The people who let go of pride, arrogance, the need to be right, the ones who give up, the ones who let go, they're the ones who get. And so I really do believe that I heard from the Lord on that. The humble get an inheritance. They get a possession because they live in submission. It's so important to have the mind of Christ as we live out this life here on earth. So important to have the mind of Christ. It's so easy as inhabitants of this earth to get locked into this earth system and how, how society, how our culture does things. But I believe that throughout these beatitudes, as they're called uh, so often, throughout all of these blessings, we will see how God's kingdom just, it's so, it's such a polar opposite to, to this 
this earth's way of doing things. His economy is just, it's kind of upside down. And so I, I just encourage you as we read through these um, blessings, that we begin each day just in a posture of submission and say, God, you know, here I am today. I'm just laying myself here on the altar before you because I need help. I need direction on how to live this life that you've called me to live in a world that where it's just so contrary. It's just out of the ordinary to live this way in this world. But it's what he's called us to do. So I pray that we would have the mind of Christ every day, every decision that we're making, every interaction that we're having, that we would pray to have the mind of Christ in it. So I want to leave us with this. Philippians 2, 5 through 9. And I um, asked to have it shown in the New Living Translation just because I I like the way that it reads here. Um, But Philippians 2, 5 and 9, let us be reminded of this. It says, you must have the same attitude that Jesus Christ had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position as a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. And what was the result of this humility? Well, the result, verse 9 says, Therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let that mind be in us that was in Christ. One of humility, one of meekness, one of submission, long-suffering, patience. Blessed are the meek, the humble, for they shall inherit this earth.